Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, is that useful to you? Oh, you betcha, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And welcome to a brand new life, to a brand new day, all the way from the wastelands of California. My name is Michael, and I look forward to once again serve you those sounds of salvation. First time listeners, turn on, tune in, and drop out. This is a different kind of show, a place where you don't feel so alone. Let us chase away the light no matter what you at home choose to believe. I do admire you for your curiosity. Live and direct right now on the TuneIn Radio app. Search End of Days and you'll find the 24-7 network. Go to michaeldeacon.com for your preferred choice of platform. Joining me tonight is Kevin Estrella. Kevin is a world-class musician of the instrumental rock band Pyramids on Mars. Kevin has been welcomed deep into the UFO community after having his own first-hand encounter with something not of this world. He has now begun speaking publicly and has been a featured guest on various talk shows. He is also the host of his own program, Pyramids on Mars UFO Radio. He has spent over 20 years researching to understand why they are here. Once again, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for allowing me into your hearts and into your minds. Here we are again on a night like this. Good morning and good evening. Always an honor and pleasure to be here. Thank you to those here in America and those who listen outside of America for listening to this very interesting program. Welcome back for another dose of the Michael Deacon program. Here we are. I couldn't stay away for too long. My goodness. I do apologize. There's so much to talk about. However, my guest is already waiting on the line. Let's bring him in. Kevin, are you alive? I am alive. Perfect. I wasn't sure if I could hear you or not, but that's that's usually how uh, Skype works. There's always that little delay once you get it going. <laughs> We're live. Oh, yes. Live and direct right now. So, Kevin, how the hell are you? I'm doing really good. I mean, life is always interesting. There's always new things that are happening. It's My life is definitely not normal, that's for sure. Well, you and me both. Life never really has been normal for me either. Oh, yeah? <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. So, Kevin, welcome to the program. Thanks for being here and spending some of your time with us all. I'm glad to be here. Yes, sir. And since this is your first rodeo here on the program, um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Let's go over your background here. Let's go back to your roots. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, well, I, I've... Uh... I live in Hamilton, Ontario, and I, I grew up in Orangeville, Ontario. And um, when I was in high school, uh, grade 10, my, my best friend, Mike Rose, uh, came to school one day with a tape of uh, Joe Satriani's Surfing with the Alien and uh, Not on This Earth. And he said, check out this guitar player, Joe Satriani. And, and I did, and my my life completely changed at that day. Like, I was, you know, it was like hearing his music was like I wanted to be able to play like him. And 
you know, not many people can make, you know, know, you know, exactly where they were in a certain time to, uh, you know, figure out what they want to be or what they want to do with their life. And so, uh, that was a decision maker for me to, you know, to become, to be able to learn how to play like Joe Satriani. And I spent years and years dedication to, uh, you know, to learning to play guitar and, and, um, just getting better at it, so to speak. And, uh, um, that just developed. Is it, there's a strange sound in the background. Do you hear that? Mm, oh. Is it gone? Oh, it's gone now. Yes. Okay. Perfect. Um, some, you know, you know how Skype is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, you know, to kind of fast forward to the future, uh, I've been in many bands, you know, over, over a period of my time and, um, eventually, after my other bands the past, you know, they, they kind of fell apart. Right. I wanted to get back to my, uh, to my roots again of, um, you know, back to woodshedding and, and, uh, getting my chops back up to playing instrumental music. And that's when a 2011 Pyramids on Mars was born. And, um, that became my musical, um, my, my new, my new musical voice, so to speak. And I started to write instrumental music like I've always wanted to write. Like Saturani, and then they released my first album in 2013. Now, um, I always felt I, my my I've always felt like my mission was to basically raise consciousness of the ET uh, presence here on Earth and and expose everything for what it is and 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 spread truth. And I wanted to use my music as a catalyst, as the voice for this that I always felt was my mesh my mission. And little did I know that that actually was always my mission. And, um, that, that realization came to me August 21st, 2014, when a interdimensional craft flew within a hundred yards of me across my backyard, opened up a portal and left. And that completely was a complete paradigm shift for me. Um, I had always hoped to have a UFO encounter, but when it actually happened, um, it, I didn't have the reaction as what I was expecting. It was like all of a sudden your, your paradigm is completely flipped around and you're trying to make sense of in, in, in earth world, like what did I just see, you know? And, um, but this thing was so close. I mean, like, you know, you know, long and short of it was I went out in my deck. It was 1030 at night. I lived in the city of Hamilton of 500,000 people. I live in one of the most densely populated areas. And then from behind, uh, um, this tree in my neighbor's yard on my right hand side, comes this big object just kind of coming out from behind the tree and it was a hundred yards away. And at first I thought it was a meteor because it was kind of orange and red and kind of glowing like hot coals, but it had this kind of mist that was kind of going over the top of it and along the bottom of it. It looked like something out of the war of the worlds. So I was like, what the heck is this? And when it finally came into full view, it was a disc, you know, it was probably maybe 40 or 50 feet in diameter, perfectly, you know, um, you know, went along the top, along the bottom, bottom, very smoothly. But, um, the thing that was strange about it was that it was, and I didn't pick up on this until about maybe three weeks later because I didn't right. know what I was looking at. You know, when you see these things like, like I've seen UFOs in movies, I've seen them on YouTube, but what I saw was unlike anything I'd ever could even make up. I mean, this thing was, it was two dimensional. Uh, and, uh, that's the only, you know, that's the only way I could describe it. Right. Uh, what's two dimensional? Well, picture a solar eclipse. That's two dimensional. Looks like a hole in the sky. You know, it's got height. It's got width, but it has no depth. Well, that's what this thing looked like. It was this orange and red kind of tie dash, this hole in the wall that was moving across the sky with, and it had 
But I finally figured out what this mist was that was going along the top and bottom of it was actually plasma. This whole thing was covered in plasma. And then as it moved across the down, my distance in my backyard, it started moving away towards Bimbrook. And as it was turning, that that mist and color eventually started to fade to a point where the object had absolutely no light at all. It was just a black, a black object with no light at all. But simultaneously, while it was turning, it was opening up this kind of void vortex that was kind of swirling in front of it. It was like it's kind of almost like an umbrella thing. And and I think it was a portal. It's the only way I could describe it. So this whole thing lasted maybe a minute and a half. That's pretty wild. And it finally left. Yeah, when it finally left, I was just like, did I just see a UFO? That was a UFO. It had to be. <laughs> yes. And I just, I finally, you know, because I was, when I was looking at it, I didn't know what the heck I was looking at. Because right. you see UFOs on TV, you're trying to make sense of it. No, this thing was like completely unlike anything I'd ever seen. And, and how long was, said, was this, by the way? How long ago was this? August 21st, 2014. Ah, okay. Yeah. So um, another thing that was very important to this is that 10 days prior to this event, I had the uh, most um, documented or uh, unequivocal um, moment of ESP in my life where I, I realized that I was connected, that I had you know, some kind of uh, precognition at that time, um, some kind of telepathy ability because um, – it was the Sunday that I was doing some dishes, and all of a sudden, I saw in my mind Robin Williams dying. I saw at the end of the movie um, Bicentennial Man, where he's lying on a bed, and he lived to you know be 250 years old as an android, made a decision he wanted to die because he was tired of outliving his, his loved ones. And then as this camera is slowly panning away from him, he's, he's got this sad smile on his face that he's, as the life is leaving his body. And I was so upset and overcome by this emotion. Like, it was just crazy. I thought, oh, my God, this is so sad right now. I really got to watch this movie. I just I feel so overwhelmed with this 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 agony. And then it was just a little more than 24 hours later because it was the next day that he took his life. So I saw him dying the day before. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that's... I was just, uh, I was baffled. I was like, oh, my God, I have ESP. That's pretty Without heavy. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Because I, it was like. It was like an Obi-Wan Kenobi moment, you know, like in, in Star Wars, you know, disturbance in the force and Alderaan's blown up and he's all freaking out, you know. That's how I felt because I, I was just completely messed up. It was like being hit by a tsunami of emotion of seeing Robin Williams die. So I know that that was very significant. It's all connected. Everything, and then when you realize in this UFO world, everything is connected. So this telepathy thing was part of the whole picture. And I know more about it now because that is what, that is what I experienced going forward continuously. It's just gotten more and more crazy. Um, or actually more and more amazing. Oh yes. But, but, um, what I found out was, uh, it was almost a year later after my UFO sighting that I would discover what was going on because they were pointing me in a certain direction. That's when the synchronicities began. So, uh, I, I reported the UFO incident to MUFON, fold out, you know, did a full, uh, thing of it. I drew pictures of my sighting, what I saw, and I sent it to them and never heard back from them. So then it was almost a year later, it was 2015, when um, it was the first uh, Alien Cosmic exhibition that was, be, that was taking place in Ontario at, in Brantford. And all these, you know, top UFO researchers were going to be doing a speaking there. And I, I, I saw it was, you know, it was, it was talked about in the newspaper. And then I, I pulled it up on the Internet to see who was presenting. And I saw Stanton Freeman was going to be there and John Paul Hellier was going to be there. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. And then I found out to see, this, you know, Grant Cameron. And I didn't know who Grant Cameron was at the time, but I, I, from what I was reading was that he was very important. 
And then he was, when I saw what he was talking about, that's when the hairs on my arm just stood up and I was, I was just completely baffled. It was extraterrestrials and musicians and why extraterrestrials are contacting musicians to help raise awareness and consciousness. And I'm like, my God, this is all about me. That's interesting. What I've always, this is what I've always felt that I was supposed to be doing. And they're telling me what he's saying is that this is not uncommon, that I'm part of a, a group of musicians who this is happening to. And that was the first major synchronicity of my life, realizing this is, I'm supposed to go and see Grant. I'm supposed to go and see him. There's something bigger than myself that's going on here. And that was just absolutely profound. That first synchronicity when you, when you realize that there's, that there's something of significance of this coincidence, but it wasn't a coincidence. So I'm driving to this thing thinking, Oh my God, my life is going to change. My life is going to change. They're pointing me in the direction. There's something bigger going on here. And then when I get to the Alien Cosmic Expo that weekend, my entire life just completely changed. And I'll tell you the story. So I, I meet up with Grant just before he goes and does his presentation. Right. I hand him my seat. I hand him my CD, Pyramids on Mars. He looks down on my CD. He looks up at me and says, we got to talk. I'm like, yeah, we do. <laughs> nice. So then, yeah. So then he does his presentation and he's talking about consciousness. He's talking about shutting down the, the right, the, um, the left analytical brain so that your right consciousness brain that's connected to create, you know, to creativity and the creator and, and, and real, real information. When you're able to open that up and shut down the ego mind, that's when you're connected to consciousness, to, to telepathy, to creator, to source. And that's where the real connection to, you know, everything is. So, and then he started talking about musicians and how all these other musicians had been contacted, you know, like, um, Sammy Hagar and Elvis and, um, um, Ace Freely and, and, um, and Bono. Yeah. And, lots and, of musicians uh, for sure. Tons. Yeah. And, and especially John Lennon. And he's just going endless list, you know, all the, all the members of, of the band. Yes. Like Rick Wakeman and, and, and all them. And then he's talking about the Moody Blues and how they all, uh, you all were, you know, they remember themselves in a, before they were born that they made this agreement they're going to make a band and write music about UFOs. So it's like I finally realized that I'm kind of part of this whole entire group here. And it was nuts. So after his presentation, I go next door because they had all these other booths that are set up. And, and here's MUFON, you know, and I see Stu Bundy stand there who took my report. And so I just kind of nonchalantly walk up to his table and I just casually pull out my pictures that I drew of my UFO setting. And I just drop him on the table. He was talking to somebody. He turns around, looks at me, looks down at the, the photographs, looks back up at me and goes, oh, my God, I'm so glad you're here. We're doing a presentation on you tomorrow. I'm like, what? <laughs> right. We're doing a presentation on you tomorrow. I'm like, what are you talking about? He says, your, your sighting is one of the most authentic sightings we've ever come across. And I'm like, really? He said, yeah. And he said, can you go through it again and tell me what you saw? And so I went through it again and described the, you know, the, the way the, the plasma looked on this thing as it moved away. He says, that was it. That's when we knew that what you saw was actual physical craft. He says, because anything that's, that's radiating plasma, you can see plasma from certain angles, but as it turns away, that plasma stream disappears. He said, there were no meteors in the sky that night. There were no other anomalies of planets. What you saw was an actual physical craft. We know that. So I'm like, Wow, they verified it. So then I said, then the bigger question was, I said, well, how many other people reported it? There must have been like tons because it was 1030 at night. People are walking their dogs. It's the most, you know, the busiest part of Hamilton. And he said, well, that's the thing. Nobody else reported it. Nobody else saw it. And so I'm like, no, that's not right. That's impossible. That's impossible. And I'm freaking out now because there's no way that, you know, I was the only one who saw this thing. 
And what I found out was, um, cause I had a radio interview with Rob McConnell on the X zone on Monday and they actually did all the research prior to me being on the radio show because they're actually from Hamilton and they did a reporting to see if there was any anomalies reported the night of August 21st, 2014. They came up with nothing, zero, everything they checked, not one report. And so after that radio show, I actually got contacted by uh, the producer the next day saying, due to the lack of evidence of your sighting, we are dropping your story. Don't ever contact us again. Boom. I was like, wow. "Wow." So I'm like, this is just, but actually I was kind of happy because I realized, okay, wait a second. What's the positive of the situation? They did the research. They went and looked for the evidence. The evidence wasn't there. Therefore, something crazy is going on here. So going back to, you know, ACE, I, um, I contact Grant to tell him, look, MUFON's telling me that nobody else saw this thing. I don't know what's going on. I'm freaking out. And he says, don't worry about it. Yeah, I, I, I saw the present, their, your present, their presentation on you. Yeah, we'll talk about it. Don't worry. And so I go and, um, you know, he takes me for, uh, for coffee and we go sit down and I'm telling the whole story again. And then, um, and then I said, how is it that they're saying that nobody else saw this thing and I was the only one? And just so casually and nonchalantly with like, no, no, no expression in his face. He says, oh yeah, it happens all the time. I'm like, what? No, it happens all the time. I said, what do you mean it happens all the time? He says, you know, for one person to have UFO contact and nobody else around and sees us. Yeah. The same thing happened to John Lennon in New York City. You know, he saw a UFO. It was so close he could take a brick and throw at it. And, um, you know, he was so pissed off about the, how he was treated that his next album is called, I saw a UFO in New York City and nobody believes me. <laughs> yes. It's like, it's like, and so then he gave a couple other examples of, you know, other people who were chased down a normally busy freeway by a UFO. And, um, when he stopped them, you know, asked them, okay, wait a second, is this a busy freeway? He says, yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's always busy all the time. Well, how many people were on the highway when you were being chased by this thing? And they stop and think, wait a second, there was nobody for miles and miles for like 10 minutes. There was nobody in the highway. So somehow they have this ability that they can shut people off and have contact with the people, only the people that they want to have contact with. And we're in, and, and, and Grant called it the Oz effect. And I've come across this a lot more too over the years. So and I'll tell you a really crazy story about what I found out last week. It's going to freaking blow your mind. It took place at Ryerson, Ryerson University in Toronto two years ago. I'll tell you about it. A, 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 an actual student professor was abducted from her class in front of 300 people. They watched her go through the roof, disappear, and was gone for 10 minutes. Really? Yeah. That's pretty intense. Yeah. Pretty intense. Yeah, and 300 students. And get this. The students just sat there and played on their phones until she returned. And no one recorded this. And no one was even just didn't, – it didn't bother them at all. They wow. were just turned off, completely turned off. That's the Oz effect. Yeah, that's, that's, that's how – that's what these star nations can do. They can just shut everybody down and just have contact with the person they want, take them for you know what may seem like 10 minutes, but she was actually gone. She said she was gone for probably like two months. <laughs> Came back, they brought her to a planet, gave her all this information, and then she came back to the roof. And then because she returned, the, the university didn't, um, they, they, they shut the story down. They, they got a, they got a few students to, you know, as witnesses who actually came forward or they dragged them to come forward and tell them what they saw, but, um, that didn't, um, you know, it didn't go anywhere. They buried the story. So that's the Oz effect. <laughs> Wow. So anyway, getting, getting back to, uh, with, with what he told me about me, he said, basically, Kevin, they're in direct contact with you. And then that's when my life completely changed. And I realized that they was right. You know, the, you know, they started adding up, okay, this UFO, it came across my backyard, you know, within, after five seconds of me stepping onto my deck, appeared from behind a tree, was a hundred yards away, came across my deck, my backyard and left and nobody else saw it. Okay. Yeah. I think they were 
they weren't going for for a beer run. I know that. <laughs> yes, so, you, you definitely are contact D, and possibly something might have happened to you before this event, Kevin. Very possible. Um, it wasn't my first UFO contact. Uh, I, my I had one in 1999 up in Huntsville. There we go. Yeah, see, because I always felt those who experienced some sort of sighting or um, maybe another experience, maybe in the astral plane, it, it seems like these individuals always seem to possess some sort of strange consciousness or conscious ability to do different things like, uh, you know, you have a higher sense of ESP, you have the telepathy going on, um, there and and the synchronicity. It, it seems like any, anyone who ever has come across any of these things or experienced them, they, they yeah. seem to be really susceptible to all of these type of strange phenomenons. Well, I think what it is is that your consciousness. I already was. I've already been expanding my consciousness through my music, and because I'm conscious of it, I now have. You know, it's it's becoming stronger and stronger. Um, I'm going to tell you a couple other really cool things that are they're 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 symbolic of what this all means. Because um, shortly after you know meeting with Grant, it was about maybe two or three months afterwards. Uh, I had this dream. It was a dream download, and my main guitar, my Ibanez, was being handed to me by these three Zetas. But it had this strange um, DNA double helix design uh, carved like in the neck, basically, like it was on the neck. And I recognized that that it was actually that that DNA double helix is actually a crop circle from Wiltshire, England, that appeared in 1997. Oh wow! Yeah, so they're handing me on a guitar with this really cool engraving on the neck. I thought, wow, that looks so cool. But it's too bad that you know there's no possible way of being able to get that kind of a design on a guitar neck. You know, it's just it's really neat. Just too bad you can't do that. Well, I was wrong <laughs> because three days after I had this dream. I was followed by neck illusions on on uh, Twitter, and they have this patent for for custom neck graphics. Yeah, that's strange. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, so it was like, and then I I, I contacted them and I said, look, I got this this idea for this design. I got I didn't tell them all the whole you know detail behind it later until later on, but I said, can you make this? And I I I sent the pictures. Of the Croc Circle, I told I wanted to look like this color, like Steve Vai's first uh, um, guitar gem, and they made it exactly the way I saw it in the dream. But I got more than that; they gave me an endorsement deal because they thought that the the some, the, the DNA the neck, the neck illusion design was just so incredible. So then I became part of Neck Illusions, and um, this this you know going from this you know the synchronicity from a from a dream download to three days afterwards being contacted by neck illusions and then this this symbol, you know, actually being on my guitar, it was all meant to be. But I didn't, here's the thing, I didn't know what this thing meant. Like, okay, I got this symbol on my guitar neck, but what does it mean? Right. Well, what I find out is as you, as you're in this community and as Grant Cameron puts it, it's like they're continuously dropping breadcrumbs. So you follow the breadcrumbs to follow the path to meet the people that they want you to interact with. And I end up meeting up with um, Solaris Blue Raven. Uh, do you know Solaris? I don't believe so. Oh, you should interview her. You should interview her. Um, she's um, um, well, long and short, but she's um, um, she's a MyLab and MK Ultra expert systems buster. But she's also uh, of higher consciousness. She's written many books on 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 DNA activation, and that is 
what I found out what, what this symbol is on my guitar. She said it's obvious from listening to your music and the kind of consciousness that you're getting into in your music and the symbol on your guitar, it's all about DNA activation. And over that period of time, over that year, and more research that I did on this DNA activation and reading more about what DNA activation is, I came to understand that, yes, it's a real thing. And it's actually can be, you know, DNA can be activated through unlocking through frequencies. Um, playing the correct frequencies can actually unlock your DNA. So that also led me to meeting Michael Lee Hill, the, you know, the son of Eric Clapton. And he was very adamant. He's always been teaching about the importance of tuning your guitar to 432 hertz rather than the standard 440 hertz, which all our music is written into. Correct. You know, and there's like we could do a whole entire show. And he and I have done a whole entire show on the importance of 432 hertz and sacred frequency. So I've always tuned my guitar now to 432 hertz. It's interesting that it's you all- say that because I have David Sarita coming on Saturday who talks about sacred uh, frequencies. There you go. Very interesting. Well, then he'll know about it. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, 432, so people understand, it actually falls into the golden ratio, um, Fibonacci code, which is the, you know, the, 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 the foundation and matrix of all, all living things. And, um, 432, when you start finding out it's the significance of that number and how it falls into you know, so many things uh, in our universe, it'll start to, it'll just blow your mind. And we really should be tuned to 432 hertz because 440 is, is a, uh, it's an, it's an imposter frequency. It really is. It's completely out of tune and out of harmony with, with, uh, natural frequency. It's been proven through cymatics, which is, uh, the study of sound and, of, and seeing the sound visually by, uh, by playing sound through water or through sand formations. And 432 follows very beautiful geometric form formation that actually this you know if it does this in water think of what it does to your body your while your body vibrates in geometric form right when you play at the right frequency which in in case you know as i said this is what leads to dna activation because it's 432 is a harmonic when you work it down to you know the shoe and resonance so uh, the, the you know the frequency the beat of the planet and and dna and your dna splitting but my um abilities and um have just continued to increase in regards to, you know, consciousness and, um, and, and telepathy. I started experiencing telepathy this year and I also discovered some other new abilities that I had this year with, um, crystals. I never realized that I was able to consciously connect with crystals and I've just started to do that this year. Um, and the craziest thing that's taken place this year, we talk about, you know, these you know, abilities that we all have. Some people have, you know, other, other special talents. Like, you know, some people can do astral travel. They yeah. can leave their body. They can go places. Other people are, are really strong telepathically and, and are, and are, are, you know, become real telepaths. So, you know, being able to talk with other people, like we talk, you and I are talking, but they're so good. They can just, you know, talk to anybody. But what happened to me at the Alien Cosmic Expo, uh, last summer, was I actually end up becoming a, I would call it a telepathic translator for an alpha draconian reptilian. How'd that go? In front of, it was amazing. It was amazing? You weren't a little was, freaked out by that? No, no way. I welcome him any day. Oh my. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, you have to understand, uh, I have a connection to reptilians. Uh, it's a long story, but, um, 
one of my past lives, I was definitely um, reptilian. So, but what happened at the Alien Cosmic Expo, this is a great story. <laughs> nice. So uh, I get there and I meet up with Campbell Foster and I, I interviewed Campbell for my on my radio show Pyramids on Mars UFO Radio. Oh, that's right. You, uh, you were a host, or you still are, or what's going on I still there? Am, yeah. Oh, you still are. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Actually, I have three radio shows now. <laughs> oh my God, three. Yeah, three. Wow. Yeah, I have three. So uh, last year I was approached by ArtistFirst.com which is the largest um, independent, um, you know, um, radio show on the planet. And they have like, you know, a million listeners uh, a month. It's crazy. And so they are the offer. They said, Kevin, how would you like to have your own UFO, like your own UFO radio talk show? And I'm like, really? Of course, right? I took up on yeah. it right away because like my network of experiencers is just crazy. And so one the one thing that Grant Cameron had always talked about, he says, you know, if you really want to know what's going on in the UFO world, you need to talk to the experiencers. The experiencers have the answers. They've been on board the craft. They've been on, you know, they've, they've, they are in the know. They know what's going on. Talk to them. So I, I dedicated my re, my radio show to just the experiencers, um, and having, let, let, letting them have a voice. So, so I got that radio show. I have another one called, um, the Starseed Ascension, which is on Why Wouldn't We Radio? Uh, that's broadcast out of Dallas, Texas. We do our show every third Thursday of the month. And I have just um, recently um, been asked and I've joined uh, Janet Lesson and Dr. Sasha Lesson on Aquarian Radio. Um, and oh, I like them. Honolulu, yeah, there's very nice people. Very nice people. So nice, yeah. And so now I'm, I'm co-hosting with Janet on her show uh, every Tuesday. Yeah. So it's, things are really expanding. It's great. And by the way, um, Kevin, I just wanted to quickly say, b before doing your radio show, were you always interested in radio, or is that just something that came about later on? I think um, I had started doing a lot of radio interviews uh, when I released my second album. Or actually, my first album, I started doing radio interviews when I started promoting my, you know, Pyramids on Mars. And so then I had these, you know, these you know, rock magazines who were interviewing me uh, for my music, and then I was able to also kind of tie it into my UFO experiences. And then after, you know, 2014, um, that's after the Alien Cosmic Expo. That was when I had my first radio interview was Rob McConnell's radio station. And then I just started doing more and more interviews talking about my experiences. So, and I just kind of got more comfortable with doing radio interviews. And then so when they asked me if I wanted to have my own radio show, it just took wearing a slightly different hat instead of being, you know, the guest to being the host. Right. So, um I, I actually kind of fell into it pretty naturally. So, and it's, you know, I've gotten better at it and, um, and I just, I'm just comfortable and natural, you know, talking on the radio and talking about stuff. That's good. It just, you know, just, it just flows because there's so much to talk about. Oh, yes. It is. It's a very interesting subject. And by the way, you are a very good guitarist. I have heard some of your music and, uh, your influence do shine through in your music. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> oh, yes. L yeah. Lots of uh, different influences I could pick up on, like Rush. Oh, yeah. Big time. <laughs> yeah, you, you are really good, though. I, I must say, I play myself, and I played for, I've been playing for over 10 years, bass and guitar, and when I listen to you, I just think, my God, I, I still have a long way to go. I still have a long way to go. I mean, <laughs> I still, but, you know, it's, it's everybody's at a different, you know, different level but right you know um it's not really a matter of you know technique 
you know, because I, I thought that Kurt Cobain was absolutely amazing guitar player, you know, and, you know, he's not technically proficient, but man, he could just, the stuff he played was so energetic and just, his, his, his soul just came out. Oh yeah. So it's, it's really about, you know, about your own connection to the instrument. I mean, I listen to so many guitar players and there's so many amazing technical players out there. There's no shortage of technical players, but that's not what I'm listening for. You know, I'm listening for somebody who can actually move me spiritually with their music. And there's only a few guitar players who can really touch me that much that, that at that depth, you know. And so, you know, the guitar players who I inspire to the most are um, Jimi Hendrix, um, uh, David Gilmore, Pink Floyd, and Satriani, you know. And then there's right. other ones like I'm a huge Ingve Malmsteen fan. Um, I love Steve Vai, too. I mean... You know, guitar players who really communicate and, and, and their, their, their spirit sings through the instrument. That's what it really comes down to. I mean, technique is technique, but, um, you know, what they say musically through their soul is what, what I listen for. Yeah, and you also have these online guitar lessons, if I remember correctly. True, yes. Yeah, yeah. So I... um. I have uh, my own series of online guitar lessons. If you, if, actually, everything you can find at pyramidsonmars.com. So that's uh, www.pyramidsonmars.com. You know, you can listen to my music straight from my website. I have links to my online guitar instructional videos. I have links to my own my own personal interviews on my website, and then there's links to all my other radio shows. So everything is linked from pyramidsonmars.com. But yeah, so I, I released a series of online guitar lessons teaching my style and approach to lead guitar playing, which is um, more I'm more classically influenced by um, the class, well, classical Baroque composers like Bach and Vivaldi. Um, that's where my real inspiration comes from, and I spent probably a decade studying nothing but you know Baroque classical music, and so yeah, lots of scales in your in your in your uh, in your tunes there. Yes, yes, yeah. I use a lot of different, a lot of different scales, but um, <laughs> believe it or not, um, the one scale which I play the most, which not a, not a lot of rock guitar players play it, because they're usually like, you know playing minor stuff, you know, like you know, you know, more aggressive, more minor sounding, sadder stuff or angrier stuff. Correct. I play, I play major scales. Yeah. <laughs> I play major scales. I play, I play major. I play Lydian. Um, they're all related to, you know, the major scale. And also I play the harmonic minor scale too. Uh, you know, very, uh, custom of, you know, Ingvay Malmstein, but, uh, I play a lot of major stuff, which is very unheard of. The only other guitar player that I know of who played a lot of major scale stuff was Jason Becker. And, you know, he's a huge influence on me too. But, um, yeah, so yeah, it's kind of strange how that, you know, that's just my voice because I listen to classical music and their music is either in a major or minor scale. They don't, they don't play modes. They didn't play modes. Um, they played harmonic minor scale and they played melodic minor scale. Yes. But, um, they didn't get into like, you know, dominant sevenths or mixolydians or lydians or phrygians. Well, actually they did, they did play phrygian. Yeah. So, but the other ones, no. Right. And I also believe you talked about channeling musicians and such. Yeah, yeah. How, how'd um, that come about? Because uh, this might sound a little weird, but sometimes when I'm even doing the show, I listen back and I, I don't even understand where that came from. It's almost like I'm channeling something. So it's, I think, it's very yeah. unusual. I think, uh, you know, depending on a certain song that, um, that I write, we'll have a, I'll have a certain artist in mind of, of a certain approach. And so I'll end up playing like that 
artist just because I've listened to them so often. Um, I mean, I've played some, I've, I've written some music where I sound like Ingve Malmsteen. And usually when I'm actually practicing, I, you, you, I, I sound like Ingve Malmsteen. I really do. You couldn't tell the difference. But then, so there's some songs I've written that are more Pink Floyd sounding and I sound like David Gilmore and I'm, I'm kind of channeling his energy, you know? Cause I just, that's just the, the, the feel that I get. So when you, when, you know, when, when you got that feel and you got that right chord progression behind right. it, it's a very Pink Floyd co- progression. You're naturally going to sound like what it is that you want to bring out, you know? Oh, yes. Very the music really, yeah. And the music really, you know, it really writes itself. When you, when you step outside of it, um, you're actually real creativity is, is, uh, connecting, um, as a, as a EET friend of mine, uh, Teeny would say, go to the edge of the black and, and play the music that you hear there. So like going to the edge of the universe, just, just beyond the black and just turning around and listening to the universe and connecting to, you know, all of oneness and letting the music write itself. Yes. That's a good approach. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, and that's, yeah, same thing when you're writing something. Some things just write themselves without giving much thought. Mm-hmm. I know exactly yeah, what best, you mean. Yeah, the best music is the music that just flows out of you, and you're like, you stand back and go, I didn't write that. <laughs> exactly. I, I, I felt that in various forms. And, you know, a few years ago, I, I still am pretty skeptical, but even more so back then, and something odd happened to me, and I, I always talk about this on the show, so I won't get too into detail, but I experienced something myself. And ever since that, it's just, uh, I, it's hard to be fully skeptical about extraterrestrials or uh, the paranormal because, you know, I, I experienced plenty of things myself, and I question myself every day if it really happened. However, it did because it was a shared experience many times. Hmm. So... Can't always rule out everyone out there. No. Yeah. No, you can't. You really can't. And usually I, I was able to at one time, but ever since then, it's it's an uphill battle, Kevin. What, trying not to let other people influence what you know? Uh, yeah, that that's the hard part, too. Yeah. And uh, by the way, interesting enough, I believe I had heard you mention something about extraterrestrials using Twitter. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned a name, I think it was Sandia. Yeah, Sandia the ET. Yeah. I, you know, I had heard that, and I looked on Twitter, and we're both following each other. And oh yeah. All the all this time, I thought that was just a, a regular person. So you're telling <laughs> me that you're telling me that's an extraterrestrial. Oh, absolutely. Really? It's more than one. More, it's than, more one. than one. Um, no, there's like there's well there there used to be four, but now there's a lot more. Um, because they're, they're coming in because they're preparing for official first contact. Um, a Sandia, the ET, it's, it's actually, it's, it's mainly four. It's, it's Tilkum, who's the, uh, the, the leader. There's Jrudi, um, she's, uh, communications, um, and then there's Teeny, she's here for telepathy, teaching telepathy. And then there's, uh, my buddy Radar, who is their, uh, long, long distance telepath and, um, pilot. So, um, and they work together. They, um, they live in the uh, Sandia Mountains, uh, in Albuquerque, um, in a, in a complex that's two miles underground. There's a huge UFO, uh, base there. It's been there for like probably 10,000 years. And they have been using Twitter. Um, now how are they using Twitter? Well, they're not actually doing the tweeting. That's done by, uh, Sue Walker, who is a telepath and she lives in Albuquerque. 
Um, she and I have become uh, very good friends. Mm-hmm. In in I've you know we've chatted for hours and hours and hours. Uh, I know all about how she met them. It's it's completely one hundred percent true. In fact, um, I went and visited her uh, back in Christmas. I actually uh, was out in the United States, drove to Albuquerque, and met with her in Otter, and I actually saw radar in the, in the in my peripheral version three times. Yeah, there's something strange going on out there in New Mexico. Oh, there's a lot of stuff going on. Lots of weird stuff happens out there, especially with, especially with that base. There's a base out there, and um, from what I understand, there's there's a lot of stuff that's going on in that base. There's huge complexes underground stuff down there and, and there's all kinds of ets down there and not necessarily you know they're um on their own on their own will um there's all kinds of weird stuff going on down there oh yes and by the way kevin as you know the media was in a frenzy just not too long ago about the ufo footage that was shared nationwide and i'm pretty sure you're aware of that right you saw the footage um, the, um, uh, the, the $22 million budget. Right. Yep. How, how do you feel about that? Uh, just, just a couple days ago, I had, uh, Mr. Stephen Bassett on the program and nice. yeah, he, he was great to talk to, but it seems like lots of people were just so angry at him because he's a Hillary Clinton supporter. So people were just kind of pissed off with him. It was very unusual. I never, never had so many negative messages come my way about him. Or about any guests. Wow. Yeah, I was I was kind of taken back by that. That's weird. Yeah, everyone has their opinions uh, in, in politics. You know, you you can't completely just rule someone out because of what they believe or who they like. It's it was, it was very unusual. That's all. Yeah, you need to listen to their message because right. he's trying. He's trying to get. You know, he's trying to get a message out. It's very important. You know, and and he's trying to you know disseminate information. And try and come, you know, you know, get to the truth of what's going on. You know, we're all, we're all trying to do that. Um, yeah, we're on the same side here. It was just, like I said, very unusual to see that from so many people. Yeah, yeah I think people need to uh, kind of step back and keep politics out of stuff. <laughs> yeah, listen I'm with to the you message. Listen to the message. Yeah. So, what do you feel about this disclosure or light disclosure? I, I call it. Well, I'll tell you what's going on, and I know what's going to, I know what's happening, because I got a kind of bigger picture, um, because I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually an associate, uh, colleague of Grant Cameron, so I work very closely with him and his associate, Katerina. But also, the information that's been shared with, uh, me through Sandia DET, and also through, you know, other, you know, extraterrestrials like Dee Dee, who I interviewed. She's a tall white, mm-hmm. uh, non, non-terrestrial human. I, I interviewed her, uh, Last month, and the information she shared uh, fits right in with everything that you know what Sandy are saying and and what's going on right now um, with the government. So long and short of it is is that um, we are coming up to the end of some um, contracts contractual agreements that were signed between certain government powers and certain star nations. So I don't I don't call them aliens. I call them star nations. So this treaty. Is um, was signed back in 1971, where it was agreed upon that that uh, star nations would not, you know, land basically or make themselves known to the public and uh, not have any private contact with certain individuals and and remain that way until you know they were basically given 50 years to you know for the the government and whoever else to kind of 
slowly educate the population to the idea that we are not alone in the universe. They wanted 50 years to do this, and that's why when you watch TV, you watch all these movies, you watch these TV shows, there's a little bit of truth in pretty much every single one of them. And when when official first contact finally takes place and people finally wake up, they're going to go back and watch all their movies, and they're going to be like, oh, my God, this is all true. This is all real. Because I watched, I can't watch any movie now without seeing the truth behind it. And because of the things that I know and the things right. that have changed and the things that it, it just freaking blows my mind. I mean, the Matrix, God's sakes, that, that, that Matrix is so true. It's not, it's, it's insane. It's I mean, a great film. It's an amazing film. And it's so true. It's absolutely true in so many ways of, you know, waking up, waking up out of the Matrix. When people realize the Matrix is real, they're going to be like, what the fuck? Right. Sorry about my French. But no, it's okay. It is true. It's yeah. true. I mean, it's so true, but I mean, it ties in, you know, things that I, they, I mean, there's, uh, there's too much to talk about, but the things that, that they showed me because they send me down rabbit holes, uh, because I'm so consciously aware of things, I know when synchronicities are taking place. Yeah. Or when they, when they're saying, I want you to look into this, go look into it, and they do. And then they send me a message later on that ties into what it was that they sent me down to. And I realize, okay, um, this is true and I'm supposed to learn this and teach it and, and great, no pressure. But yeah, cause they're, they're, they're talking a lot more now through me, the, and Nancy Tremaine, um, she and I, she's, um, she was on board a craft in 1961. She's, uh, been in contact with uh, a reptilian named Mr. And the reptilians are starting to finally come out of the closet and trying to help humanity. And she's connected to Mr. She's still getting messages and downloads. And then she and I are connected that some, we have some kind of strange, I, I call it a, a quantum entanglement consciousness. It's 2018. It's, they, they should be able to come out the closet already. Well, the process is <laughs> happening now. Right. And what Didi said is she said 2018 is the beginning of the end and the end of the beginning. Another message from a friend of mine, Desta Barnaby, who's another associate of Grant Cameron, was given a message saying that 2018 is the beginning of when people start to put all the pieces of the puzzle together. And this is what's happening now. That's why the government is disclosing this stuff quickly. You know, where they, they send out this video, mm-hmm. you know, of, you know, of this UFO being chased. And then shortly after that, you know, they release information, you know, verifying that yes, we have metallic, you know, metallic material from a downed extraterrestrial aircraft. They said that. And now I just read today in the paper, which really blows my mind. Uh, there's uh, uh, Victor Vigiani. Do you know him? I, I've heard his name vaguely. Yeah. He's another whistleblower. Whistleblower, yeah. He posted something today. Yeah, he posted something today about um, uh, a scientist who um, was just – this information was just released. Um, this guy did this research. Um, um, basically what he discovered, and, and all, all his information has been verified through you know the NASA stuff that he's studied – They've, 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 uh, verified that there are, there's been at least two nuclear, um, bombs that went off in the history of Mars that completely annihilated their civilization. And he, the actually, the Ministry of Defense actually gave him permission to not only publish his information, but to actually go physic, go on the record. So why is it now that the, the, the Ministry of Defense are allowing this information to seep into the public? The reason for this is because they are slowly getting people to put the pieces of the puzzle yeah. together. By the way, Kevin, have you spoken to Dr. John Brandenburg? No, 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 that's him, Brandenburg. Brandenburg, yeah. Is that him? Yeah. Yeah, that's the guy. That's the one. 
Ah, okay. Yeah, I must have not heard you correctly there. Yeah, that's him. He's the one. He's yeah, Brad, he's been on this program. No way. Yeah, he's been a guest here before. And uh, Did he talk about this stuff? Uh yeah, actually he talked a lot about Mars. I was going to ask you, how did you come up with the name Pyramids on Mars? Uh, well, I mean, um, I've known about, uh, you know, the pyramids on Mars in the Cydonia region for a long time. You know, the, the D&M pyramids that are, you know, a few miles away from the face on Mars. And I know there's other pyramids on Mars. And it was, um, it was actually a song by uh, a drummer, drummer by the name of Virgil Donati, who released an album and one of his songs was called Pyramids on Mars. And I thought that was sounded like the coolest name for a band. And so I just... Book, I, I bookmarked that even when I was still in the band. I said, it really I is a cool. Solo. Yeah, it really is a cool name. Yeah, it is. So I thought that'd be a perfect name for my for my solo project, you know, because you know, like I didn't want to say, you know, call myself Kevin Estrella, because you know, that's not great marketing, you know. Like it's like, okay, you have um, Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails, but you know, he always had Nine Inch Nails. Yeah. But after a while, you start to, you know, you, you recognize. Trent Reznor with Nine Inch Nails, but it was, you know, Nine Inch Nails was the branding at the beginning. So as I thought, you know, I'll brand myself as Pyramids on Mars, but eventually everybody will know, well, that's Kevin, you know, so. I, uh, yeah, open, I opened this, uh, tonight's show with, uh, Head Like a Hole. So it's funny. Oh, yeah. It's funny you mentioned <laughs> him. Awesome. Oh, yes. Uh, synchronicity has always been a big theme in my life and it's, it's been so bizarre. Every time I feel lost and, and need an answer from some from anywhere, it's usually TV or radio where I get the answer from. As mm. weird as that sounds, well, the the answers come any anywhere, and when you stop, it's that funny when you stop thinking about it. That's when they come. <laughs> that, yeah, you could even be driving, and, and the answers just come flowing in out of nowhere. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, so I know you know exactly what I'm talking about. You could be in your car, and all of a sudden. The answer is right there. The answer is there. It was always there. You know, or or you, you you just have to ask, you know. Or sometimes it, you don't even have to you don't even have to think anymore. I mean, I mean when when you finally realize that everything is consciousness, everything comes a lot quicker because you're you're very aware all around you of synchronicities or how the planet is communicating to you. And it, and the more and more that I learn, the more and more absolutely amazing how everything is connected. You know, and when people start, you know, realizing that, you know, when they, when, when, you know, 11, 11 keeps showing up on their clock and they wonder about that or 333 or 444 keeps showing up on the clock or, or somewhere, pay attention. Yeah. <laughs> it's the universe is telling you something, something important that's going on. Pay attention to what's going on at those moments when you, when you have those, those numbers show up. Um, you know, I got numbers that show up all the time. So, you know, I, I pay attention or, or as Teeny puts it, pay attention. Yeah, you're listening to the universe. Yeah, you're listening to the universe. You're finally t- cluing in, tuning in to the natural um, communication of the universe all around you because we're completely surrounded by consciousness. By the way, you also mentioned in an uh, email to me about the Mandela effect and something oh, odd you happened. Oh, something odd happened to you, rather. Um, please explain uh, that. Oh, god, yeah, yeah. How much time do we have? <laughs> oh, we we got enough time. It's okay. Okay, right. Um, this was. Uh, the last biggest thing that took place and, uh, Nancy Tremaine and I, um, we opened, we, we blew it open, uh, blew open the doors on Sunday with this on the Janet Lessons show. So, you know, I've kind of heard about the Mandela effect before from, from, you know, some friends and stuff and 
kind of you know, was aware of what they were what she was saying, but not to the certain extent of really being able to swallow it. Sure. And and having a personal experience. So what happened to it started November 29th, Thursday, November 29th, around 3:30. So I'm at work and I work in a marketing company and um, we you know we try and book appointments for our clients for their sales reps and normally this one you know um, campaign we were working on it's a no-brainer because you know the product is uh, it doesn't cost them anything and it's going to save them up to 65 percent on their on their on their electricity bills for these manufacturers but all of a sudden I was getting all these phone calls I was actually getting through to people which is crazy on its own and it'd be like save money not interested click Next phone call, save money, not interested. Click, this happened four times in a row in half an hour. I'm like, what the hell's going on here? This has never happened in the history I've ever worked here. And then one of the girls down, down the, you know, two doors, two, two down for me, where she was making phone calls too for the same campaign and she was getting the same thing. And we're all looking at each other going, what is going on? It's like we stepped into a parallel universe. And I went, oh, oh my God. So I realized that. They did throw me into a parallel universe there. They flipped me into something, um, and I realized I had to go do some research on the Mandela effect. So this is the beginning of the rabbit hole, and um, I'll try and keep it concise because uh, there's a lot of stuff that happened between Thursday and the Sunday. So I get, I, I start doing research on the Mandela effect. I already already heard about, you know, how they say that, you know, movie lines have changed, like, you know, life is like a box of chocolates, and yeah. now it's life was like a box of chocolates. You know, and you know, at the end of uh, Moonraker of uh, James Bond, when 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 Jaws, you know, blasts through a wall, and he's got the metal teeth, and he runs into a girl, and then the girl smiles at him, and she's got, or he smiles at her, and then she smiles back, and she's got braces, and they run off together, and you know, they fall in love. Well, now when you watch the movie, she no longer has braces, and the scene just doesn't make any sense. Um, I mean, there's just you know, movie after movie after movie, so many things have changed. But what, what it was for me that I finally was the deciding factor or was too personal for me, uh, I've been a Star Wars fan my entire life, and now they're saying that C-3PO now has a silver leg. And I'm thinking, that's a good one. That's funny, because um, he's never had a silver leg. And they start showing clips of uh, different movies and stuff where he's, he's got a silver leg. And I'm thinking, whoever did the CGI in that, you know, did a really good job to make it look like he's got a silver leg, because, you know, it, it's, it looks pretty good. But then I started, you know, doing this research on my own and pulling up all these YouTube videos of C-3PO, and it didn't matter what the quality was on on the TV, whether it be somebody filming their TV, you know, because they threw on their 1970s beta video of Star Wars, and they're filming their TV, and all of a sudden you see C-3PO's got a silver leg with his original (laughs) beta videos. I'm like, whoa, what's going on? I still didn't believe it. I said, there's no way I'm going to believe this until I, I, I know I got my VHS copies at home. You know, my brother gave them to me you know, back in 1991, and I've got them. I watched them with my kids a couple of years ago. The movies were all normal, so I know that there's nothing tampered with those movies. They've been sitting on a shelf in the basement for, you know, five years. I go put them on. They've all changed. They've all changed. Hmm. And I was just, um, I just, you know, I just had there with my camera. I was taking snapshots of the TV where all these scenes were, you know, where he's got a silver light everywhere, every, every movie. They're all, he's all got a silver leg now. And so I'm like freaking out, realizing, oh my God, the timelines have changed. Something, you know, we are no longer in Kansas. And I even found my 1980s Star Wars trading card. I still got them. I pulled them up and I find my C3PO and he's got a silver leg. And I'm screaming, going, oh my God, 
this is crazy. There's no way. What's going on? And so I'm doing more research, you know, trying to figure out what is this Mandela effect? What caused this? What's going on? And from what I, what I've been able to figure out is they've invented these quantum computers. Um, these quantum computers are actually built when you listen to these scientists just, you know, talking about how these things work. They're actually built upon being able to exploit accessing parallel dimensions. <laughs> The way these chips are designed. I mean, they got a node and an antinode. They normally don't touch, but somehow they're creating a, a bridge together of some kind of energy. And then they multiply these nodes by 200 times. So they're accessing tens of thousands of parallel universes to get these computers to do these massive quantum calculations. So they know that parallel universes exist. But what a lot of people have seen me pointing the finger at is, 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 um, CERN, the, you know, the large right. collider. Mm-hmm. And there's some speculation that you know, back in 2012, they fired the thing up, they overpowered it, and um, I think they probably spun particles past the speed of light, and when they collided, they actually destroyed the universe. They destroyed the Earth, and we, we jumped into the next closest parallel dimension. So that's the only conclusion that I can come to, but, you know, CERN are still doing stuff, and the, the timeline may continue to change. Yeah, they're so, still active out there. They're still active, so things can still may continue to change. However, from what I understand, this is actually all part of the plan in regards to the awakening. Because um, what happened was, so it was November 29th where that they sent me down the rabbit hole, and I was learning about the Mandela effect. Twelve days after that, I got an email from Nancy Tremaine saying, Kevin, I don't remember writing this. I must have written it on November 29th, Thursday, November 29th, because I discovered it the next day. And I don't know what this message means. I've been hanging on to it for 12 days because I thought you were going to think I'm crazy. But I was just directed to by my, my Star Nation people that I'm directed to give this message to you. And when she sent it to me, I knew exactly what the message is about because it made complete sense. It related to everything that they sent me down the rabbit hole to do. So I actually got a, a telegram, you know, a real telegram from, from ETs. And it was basically talking about realities versus illusions and how we are all um, living in a false reality. Uh, they called it like a, um, um, like a theatrical world um, that, that everything is, is not what we think it is. And it's for, you know, our creator's muse and that we're all um, the, the, the reality that we think is real is, is not real. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I don't have it in front of me to be able to read the whole thing. All right. Um, um, word for word, but, uh, actually I can change that while we're talking. I'm going to fire up my computer. Oh, go ahead. And I can read it That's to you. Fine. Yeah. yeah. So really interesting yeah. stuff going on out there. Um, China also had uh, launched one of their quantum satellites into space. One of their, um, the quantum satellite that is. And, a quantum um, satellite? Yeah, you didn't read that story? It's very interesting stuff. They beam particles up into into space. It's it's really exciting stuff. Big step forward. And uh, another thing I did want to mention while you're looking through that is there are other indi- um, other individuals out there like um, what's his name? I can't think of his name right now. Actually, oh yes, now I remember. Uh, Quail. Okay. Mister Quail. He believes that these greys are evil. He thinks they're evil beings. Do you believe that, sir? 
Stephen Quill. He must be a Christian. And he is. Oh, amazing how I was able to put that together. Right. right. Yeah, because yes. yeah, um, so many of my of my of my experience or friends um, who've gone on the record and they've you know they've gone on video on YouTube and 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 um, told their stories and they go and read the comments from people and all these Christians oh, all yes. say the same thing. They all say the same thing. Yeah, it, it yes. all goes. All, all right. aliens are fallen angels and <laughs> yes. demons. I hear and it's like hundreds of them. I'm thinking they go and I just comment to them. I say. Is this through your own research, or is this because of the dogma which you have just, um, you know, uh, ver- you know, uh, decided to, you know, take as truth? You know, like what is your mm-hmm. truth based upon? Is it based upon your own research, or based upon your dogma of what you've been told to believe? Yeah, a lot and of that's times. The oh, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Yes, yeah, so that's the problem with these. You know, I'm sorry. I've been a Catholic all my life, and I finally woke up. I finally woke up a couple of years ago mm-hmm. because I have friends in the Vatican, and guess what? The Bible is heavily, 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 effing heavily edited, and they've taken the ET out of the Bible. I have a friend in the Vatican who's verified this, and the stuff that's been shared with me has been shared with some other high, high-profile people. And yeah, guess what? ET is in the Bible, and again, when, when official first contact takes place in 2021, guess what? The Catholic Church is going to fall. Most churches are going to fall. Religion is going to fall because of one thing. They broke the ninth commandment. Thou shalt not bear fault witness against thy neighbor. They did this by taking the ET out of the Bible. Ah, I so see. fuck, fuck you, church. Fuck you, Vatican. So you know what's going to mm-hmm. come to you? It's going to come to you. Basically, they all they all uh, point back in terms of the evil gray aliens. It, it all it all goes back to uh, Aleister Crowley, and they always mention uh, Lamb. When uh, Aleister Crowley was performing some sort of ritual and he manifested Lamb, the little gray alien bean. I'm sure you might have heard of that. I never heard about Lamb, no. Yeah, he, he um, conjured some little E.T. fella named Lamb. And yeah, they, they always go back to this. The Amalantra working is what it's called. That's the ritual. So they point back to that and they say, well, that's, that was the evil, uh, gray alien they were conjuring. And so that's yeah. where the religious folks, they take that story <laughs> and they run with it. They just run with it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I you know, to, to kind of waken people up, you know, I speak to, uh, you know, go talk, go, go talk to Rudy Tilcom and, and, um, in the Sandia group and they'll, they'll tell you, you know, the history of the Ponte. And they've been here, you know, their history here on Earth has been for at least 137,000 years. And they spent a, a long, hard time protecting us and, and, and stopping major catastrophes um, to keep us safe. You know, and they're not, the, you know, there's been so many ETs who have genetically, um, you know, tweaked us, you know, and, you know, it, it, they've helped us. You know, the, the Ponte have been here for a long time. We're not the first you know, human, we're not the first society. I mean, the reptilians were here before we were. Um, you know, they're not, they're not bad. I mean, some, some are, okay, maybe some are, you know, yeah. for their own, for their own thing. But I'm sure there's different factions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just like you can't say, you know, all ETs are bad. It's like saying all humans are bad. Honestly, I think the human race should be annihilated because we are, <laughs> we are horrible. We are pretty we vile. Are we're horrible. We're vile. Yeah. Um, we're not ready for contact with, Star nations, we're um, we're we're like babies. Honestly, our minds are like babies. We're not ready, and you know the the church has uh, not helped at all with um, 
helping people understand who we truly are. You know, it's been the churches, it's been the governments, it's been all the all the powers that be have done everything they can to keep humans from remembering who they truly are. Oh yes, our, our history, our, our true history has been wiped from us, um, or it's been censored. Um, anything that doesn't fit into you know the Darwinian whatever they want us to learn or understand about the history, they 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 confiscate it and take it away. You know all these you know uh, you know skeletons of large beings with large heads. You know they've confiscated them or they destroyed them. They try and bury the evidence so we stay asleep. Yeah, our DNA was definitely manipulated at one time. Oh, many times actually. Many times. Yeah, it's yes. been many times. Many times. Oh, I finally um found that thing. Oh, you pulled it up. Yeah, realities versus illusions. So this is this is tying back to uh, after my uh, you know my going down the wormhole, the rabbit hole, I should say, literally the rabbit hole, because that weekend, um, what the other thing I was tied to was uh, on that Sunday when I was in this certain researching the Mandela effect, I was part of a of a of a study group with uh, Ron Pendolfi and Elia Pendolfi. Do you do you know them? I'm not familiar with those folks, actually. Okay. Ron Pandolfi is known as the, he's in the CIA. He's actually known as the real Agent Mulder. And he's been the one who's been, you know, debriefing the presidents. Um, Grant Cameron, you know, has, you know, followed him for years and followed every, follows everything that he puts out. Anyway, so Elia Pandolfi was doing a presentation and there's reasons why she had behind this, but we, she was doing a presentation on Alice in Wonderland. Oh, nice. Yeah. And we were to read the book and then meet with the group and have a discussion about it. And then for me, when I started reading Alice in Wonderland, I saw it from a very different perspective because when she keeps talking about when she turns around and everything's changed and she thinks she's going mad and then she starts sitting down and just reciting her history lessons, trying to grasp onto something that she knows is, is real, is what a real memory is, I finally realized that this is a complete parallel to the Mandela effect. But, you know, there's more to that Alice in Wonderland than meets the eye. So here we go. I'm going to read this to you. Um, this is what uh, Nancy said to me regards uh, after I discovered the Mandela effect was real. She says, Kevin, I have absolutely no memory of writing any of the following. It had to have been written on Thursday, November 29th, because I found it on the 30th when I picked up my notepad. Realities or illusions? Realities or illusions are part of delusion that we've created. We are living a delusional illusion of our making. We are all players in this fictional theater we perform for our creator's amusement. A muse existing for our audience. The stage is set at birth and our performance has begun. Then she goes on to say, I was then shown a circle depicting the womb that gave humanity birth and found within this circle are the words enlightenment, Consciousness, energy, life, knowledge, love, light, and sound. Outside the circle are the words, the what is. Kevin, you are the only one I have shared this with because I am directed to. Love, Nancy. It's the first telegram that I've ever gotten from a star nation. So It's pretty heavy. It's heavy. Yeah. And what I've learned about these type of, you know, because they write almost like Jesus, you know, it's like almost like parables. These, and, and Desta gets the same kind of messages. She calls them living texts because each person who reads it 
it'll mean something a little bit different to them depending on their own personal experience. So we all take a piece of it and we'll understand it. And we all kind of have our own, you know, meaning of what these things are, are you know, what, it, what, what the meaning is. So, you know, they gave me this message and then she said shortly afterwards, they told me that I'm to learn this and I'm supposed to teach it. So I'm like, oh, great. No pressure there. <laughs> right. So, yeah, and I'm trying to figure it out still. I mean, that's why I was asking Didi on my radio show last week, you know, can you help me out here? And she said, well, you know, I could give you the answers, but then it wouldn't mean as much to you. Defeating the purpose, yeah. Yeah, defeat the purpose. And since we're at the end of the show anyway, it's amazing how that works out, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, you're so funny. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah, it was hilarious. So it's like, okay, fine, whatever you win. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with a you know a seven year seven hundred year old tall white. Yeah, we'll know we'll, we'll a little bit more than I do. Probably not good to. <laughs> no, just take their word. No, Didi and I get along really good. <laughs> we get along good. Yeah, I can't wait till official first contact because then I'll I'll be able to meet their her. I'll be able to meet uh, Telcom Drudy and Radar, and we'll, we'll all have a good time. So you definitely, all... yeah, you definitely think we'll have the first contact in a few years. Then definitely, right? Yeah. Yeah, Tilcom Drudy, Tilcom, they've already, it's, it's official. Um, the official first contact is taking place 2021, the fall of 2021. Where it's going to take place? Somewhere in Europe. That's all I know. They've chosen a place, they've chosen a time. 32 star nations are involved. They've been planning this for decades. So it's happening in 2021. But the thing is that you have to understand is that this is why the government is now closing. It's 2018. They're now finally letting the cat out of the bag because they know that their time is running out. But there's a lot of people in power who don't want people to know the truth. They want to hang on to, they want to control the technology for themselves. And so what Didi was warning is that there's going to be a lot of um, information, things that are going to happen that are going to cause confusion, going to cause panic, going to cause paranoia. And we're going to see a lot of things happening in the news that are going to make people scratch their heads and say, what is going on? And they're going to try and scare people. And there's still that possibility, as Dr. Stephen Greer has said, of a false flag alien invasion. Because, they, you know, these, these secret space programs, they have the technology already. They've got these TR or whatever 30, you know, flying triangles, reverse engineered UFOs. They've got those. They've, uh, they've been, you know, manufacturing and engineering robotic looking like zetas and if they do here's the here's the here's the the, the the problem if a false flag is done official first contact is going to be canceled most star nations are going to leave there's going to be no technology sharing and they're going to leave us to our demise for what earth changes are about to take place because there's some horrible things that are going to happen in the next few years the religious folks are going to freak out yeah, and they're still going to be waiting for Jesus to save them. And guess what? He's not going to. Yeah, I kind of feel that's probably not going to happen. No, because they're, they're trying to waken the, the world up. And if they don't waken up, you know, they, they still have a number of years to come. Um, and actually, that's funny because in the Keys of Enoch, it, that's actually mentioned about, you know, that the, you know, the Native Star Nations are going to come for a few days and, and um, information is going to be released and then they're going to leave again. And, and all the, all the religious fanatics are going to be pissed off that, you know, Archangel Michael and Jesus never came, um, because there, it's, it's not their time yet. 
Yeah. It's not their time yet. They're giving you a final final chance to smarten up and figure it out, and then maybe Jesus will come afterwards. But um, you know, it's written in the keys of Enoch. You gotta. You know, it's crazy. Yes, hopefully we're able to use this technology to better humanity for for once. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's well, it's it's more it's it's not so much technology. Really, what it's going to come down to is uh, it's consciousness. It's all about consciousness, and that's honestly why I see what's going on with this Mandela effect. Because at the end of the day, it's our consciousness which is going to change our future and change our reality. And when people finally realize that the only real thing is consciousness, everything else is just an illusion, that it's like we could be living in some kind of um, um, holographic um, program, holographic universe, nothing might be real, you know? Right. And, but, but we realize that we can change our consciousness and choose our future, choose which earth we want to be on. When enough people are able to focus on that, we will be the ones who choose our future because we realize that our consciousness is, is we are connected to God. Right. And by the way, speaking of the Mandela effect, someone was telling me a woman by the name of Starfire Tor, she came up with, with this uh, Mandela effect, this term. Have you ever heard of her? No, no, I haven't. Yeah, I I, I, re, I vaguely recall having this conversation when someone brought this up to me. I thought perhaps you might have heard of, of this woman. No, I haven't. Sort of looked into her uh, very, very slightly. And she's got a lot of information out there about different things. That that would be someone you should probably talk to at one time or another. Yeah. Yeah, you'll probably get along with her. Oh, geez, what time is it? I believe it oh, is eight thirty. Eight thirty one your time. Oh, geez, you know what? Yeah, we got. I'm a... supposed to be on a radio show right now. Oh my God, that's right. You have another show to do. Oh yeah, I do. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought. Oh my God, I'm late. Oh no. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's okay, Kevin. I, I already. I had a feeling you had another show soon. I do, yeah. Yeah. I thought it was 7.30. I didn't realize how time it was. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, time flies when we're doing this. But I, I do want to yeah, thank you. it does, yeah. Yeah, I do want to thank you very much for being a part of the program here. And we'll definitely have to. Well, thank you. Yeah, we'll definitely connect again and go ahead and plug your website, Kevin. Oh, yes. It's at www.pyramidsonmars.com. Nice. All right, Kevin. Well, I'll let you go and you can do your yeah, show please now, check my that friend. Out. Yes. All right, Kevin. Take care. Thank you. Okay, I'll talk to you soon. All right, bye-bye. Okay, bye. And that was Kevin Estrella, who has a show to do of his own right now, and he's running late. I, I feel bad about that. I kept him here. My goodness. And I do want to remind all of you out there that there will be another show this Saturday, and it will be live with Mr. David Sarita. Definitely don't miss that. And if you're listening to this on a replay, keep in mind you can listen every Saturday night at 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 11 p.m. Eastern Time live on the TuneIn Radio app. And, of course, if you enjoy this program and want to help fund this project, go to michaeldeacon.com and donate a few dollars. Also, this program completely depends on its listeners. That means you. So go ahead and share this show with your friends, family, whoever you want. I'm Michael Deacon. Thank you for listening. And with that said, the world is a mysterious place, and life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night, everybody. I could tell that all the mainstream media outlets were 
given me like bullshit. Like, if I can just see it, it's clear. <laughs> How appropriate. I wish I could be in that ring with just for what it's worth, I want to put in my two cents to tell you that I'm going to come back yet to a most incredibly well-rounded show. Introducing the greatest tag team on the radio. Guess what, Change the plans. We got a harvest today. I'm gonna need all hands on deck, boys. Today? Yeah, like right now. I can't see it, man. I got a two-hour corporate gig booked in the T-box. Plus, phones gotta get fixed. I got cards that need to be programmed. Shit's too tight. It's impossible. It's impossible. Impossible. I'll give you a half pound.